coming up. I would challenge the leaders who've been in role for some time to really think about, have you been complaining about the culture in your organization for a decade? And yet you are the person who is in the best position to challenge that culture. In today's episode of In Session Leading the Judiciary, we discuss the different paths leaders take to arrive at their formal positions of authority, why those paths matter, and the opportunities and challenges inherent in each path. Our guest is Meredith Persilli Lamel, CEO of Aspire at Work, where she provides executive and team coaching to C-suite corporate executives and nonprofit leaders. Her background includes leadership training, coaching, and facilitation for over 80 members of both Houses of Congress and their senior staff. Meredith is an expert in supporting high-level leaders who transition between government and the private sector. She teaches government leaders in American University's School of Public Administration Key Leadership Program. Today, we're discussing the book she co-authored with Mark A. Clark, Sixth Path to Leadership, Lessons from Successful Executives, Politicians, Entrepreneurs, and More. Our host for today's episode is Lori Murphy, Assistant Division Director for Executive Education at the FJC. Lori, take it away. Meredith, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start with the major premise of your book. Why does one's path to a specific leadership position, especially an executive level position, matter so much? Well, we believe that these paths matter because there are unique opportunities and challenges for each path. For each of these different opportunities and challenges, there are specific strategies that you can take to better leverage or manage the issues in front of you. And then the other piece is that, you know, we do develop habits over time across our careers. And when we switch paths, we're more likely to use the habits that we've developed. And if we don't recognize the differences across that path, we might use habits that helped us in our previous path, but might um, hinder our success in that new path. Your book highlights six paths, but to start, I really like to hone in on two of them, the insiders and outsiders, because those, it strikes me, are most applicable to court executives and their deputies. Let's start with insiders. Sure. Um, so just for your listeners, you know, the insider path is also you know, called the promoted from within path, right? So it's it tends to be one of the most common leadership paths, right? You are successful in your current role in recognition of that success. You are then promoted into a more senior position, right? So that's what we call the insider path. And we do have a lot of those in the judiciary. Absolutely. Yeah. Most, again, most pretty much every organization, you know, will or should rely on that path um, as a key part of succession planning um, and, um, you know, reward and recognition of a job well done as well, right? So um, it does tend to be the most common path. Um, and, and not surprisingly, you know, an advantage or opportunity is that cultural awareness, right? You already know what the culture is of that organization. And so, you know, that's, that's a key um, advantage. The second is the relationship networks that you have. You know, you already know the people, you know who has power, where the coalitions might exist. So that's also really helpful. And then the third is that you have a proven track record. 
On the challenges side, there's this issue of managing former peers. And so, you know, three or four people are at the same level, their boss um, retires or moves on, and then only one of you can get promoted. Now you become their supervisor, right? And so that's a very tricky transition for folks to make. The second is, which is which is definitely related to that, is this idea of shifting perception. Then when you get into that new role where different things are going to be required of you, you know, you have to be able to shift the perception of, you know, how others um, view you. And then the third is more internal, which is this um, challenge of adapting your own habits, right? So, you know, we have habits around, you know, how we do our work, how we allocate our time, how we talk to people, how we communicate, all of those habits. And in a new role, you're going to have to have different habits to be successful. And, you know, we are as interested in leaders proactively managing those challenges as we are fully leveraging the opportunities. Just as an example, one way to leverage that opportunity is as someone who is promoted from within, who's already a cultural fit, you might be in a better position to challenge something about the culture that you think needs to be changed. Because in challenging that culture, you won't be perceived as someone who doesn't fit into the culture or doesn't appreciate the culture. You can be both an insider and, you know, someone who can instigate positive change. I'm curious if you could give us an example on the other side with regard to a challenge, one of the challenges you listed for insiders and how they can maybe work to overcome one of those challenges. Absolutely. So maybe the habits, being intentional about the new habits that you need to pick up. Now you have to think about downward communication and peer communication much more. And so, you know, as you get more access to information, how are you thinking about the need to distribute and translate information on a regular basis? The new platforms that they have, both for receiving and disseminating information and fully leveraging them. The other part is when someone gets promoted into more of a leader position, but what they really enjoyed was the the day-to-day work or getting their hands dirty. But as a leader or manager, you know, you can only spend so much time getting your hands dirty to the point where you can be perceived as a micromanager or just spending your time in ways that is not, you know, up to that strategic level. And so we need to adapt our habits both in terms of the kind of work that we're doing, but also how we find success. And as a team leader, your success really needs to come from, you know, supporting and developing and, you know, living through the contributions of your team as opposed to that direct contribution yourself. It sounds like for sure this is really critical for when you're shifting into a role, right? There's all these changes. Talk for a moment about those who've been in a leadership position for a while and why it matters how they came to their path, whether insider or otherwise. How does that impact them in an ongoing way, maybe two, five or more years down the road? I would challenge the leaders who've been in role for some time to really think about, have you fully leveraged those opportunities? So again, on the cultural side, you know, have you been complaining about the culture in your organization for a decade, and yet you are the person who is in the best position to challenge that culture? 
The same with relationship networks. Is there this elephant in the room that's been sitting there for a decade and yet you have the relationships to challenge that conversation, right? Um, to bring that into the room. And then again, with the proven track record, you know, you have more job security than someone new to role. And so once again, since you have that track record, that gives you currency to be a more courageous leader. In the context of leadership over time, I would almost say it's more important to think about, are you fully leveraging your assets in order to have the type of impact and leave the legacy that you hope to achieve in your career. Okay, great. And that would apply whether you're an insider or the next path we're going to talk about, which is the outsider. So talk a little bit about what an outsider is and then the challenges and opportunities for them, whether they're new or, again, as we've just been talking about, whether they've been in the role for some time. The outsider is that person who is hired from the outside you know, the more outsider, the more important understanding these these opportunities and challenges. And so, you know, especially if you're moving from one organization into another. But on the opportunity side, certainly they bring in new perspective and expertise. I mean, organizations usually prefer to promote from within for a variety of reasons. They tend to go to the outside when that there isn't a, an obvious um, position holder internally. And so they're looking for a new perspective, expertise that doesn't exist internally. As a result, there can also be a bit more of a perception of an earned hire, right? Because, you know, since there is this bias to promote from within, when there is an external hire, it's going to be a more competitive process usually. And then the other opportunity is a willingness to take risks. With that commitment to the external hire or the outsider, there's also a commitment to bringing in the, an alternative way of doing things. Let's talk about the challenges. One of them is this idea of cultural assimilation. We've all heard about the outsider who comes in, just didn't fit in, right? And so, you know, that ability to adapt to the new cultures is definitely a real one. The second is this idea of identification with the former organization. And so, you know, well, where I would say in in federal agencies that I've worked with, I'm dealing with one issue right now where someone, you know, came in from an NGO into a federal agency, right? And so people kind of explain differences often with, well, they, they have the NGO, you know, mindset or the NGO approach. They don't understand how we do things in government. And then Another challenge is this idea of being in the fishbowl or, you know, under constant scrutiny, right? Like, what do you think of the new guy, the new lady? You know, do you think they're going to fit in? Do you think they're going to be successful? And, you know, the data is not great. What the data shows is that roughly half of senior executives who come in from the outside fail within the first year um, in their new position. So, you know, this idea of being in the fishbowl is real. A lot of times, you know, organizations bring in people from the outside for this new perspective, and then they come in, they have all these great ideas around change, and, and they aren't accepted, right? You know, change is hard. And so that's actually a really important part of, you know, that opportunity or willingness to take risks. How do you take those risks in a way where they actually get adopted, 
right? And it's really important to, you know, think through the implementation of your ideas as well. So uh, one thing we didn't dive into too much is the opportunities for the outsiders and, and any specific strategies that might help them overcome some of the challenges you've mentioned and, and maybe be in the 50% that are retained after the first year. You know, you're probably brought in for you know, a unique expertise that you bring in, but that also probably means that you're not as good at other things that others in the organization have. And so, you know, being able to be really open about that and, you know, figuring out ways to, you know, learn what you need to learn, but not trying to learn so much of what's already in the organization that you lose out on, you know, that expertise that, um, that you were brought in for. Another part of of being the outsider is that you bring a whole network of um, relationships with you. Now, coming in from the outside, are you leveraging those networks just for yourself or are you sharing those networks with others? So it can be skills, it can be expertise, it can be relationships. So one of the tools that we developed in our book was the difference between the onboarding process for the insider versus the outsider. And this has been one of the most popular tools. For an outside hire, when you come in, you're gonna wanna learn the corporate policies and procedures or the organization's um, policies and procedures. If you're promoted from within, you know those, right? But you do wanna identify the norms and practices of your new forums. So, you know, the new meetings you're gonna be in, the decision-making processes, so again, you know, similar need, but but different context. When you're an outside hire, you're going to want to interview the previous position holder, ideally. Now, when you're promoted, that position holder was probably your former boss, right? Or even your current boss, who's also been promoted from within. So you might think, oh, I don't need to interview that person. But, you know, your vantage point has been as a direct report, not as the position holder. So it's a different type of interview. So that should be part of your onboarding. As an outside hire, there's a job description that's included in the hiring process. When promoted from within, you might need to write the job description. It may not even have been updated. And you might have confirmed the assumptions around that job description with the stakeholders. You know, the listening tour is important both for outside hire and inside hire. You want to make sure especially to have those retention conversations as part of that. And that should be for both the outside hire and the promoted, Um, making sure that, you know, but if you're managing former peers as promoted, those retention conversations are going to be even more important. You know, there are going to be performance metrics that are communicated for an outside hire as an internal promotion not only do you want to make sure you know what those new performance metrics are going to be, but you're going to want to make sure that you delegate those performance metrics that were critical for you in your previous job, that those get delegated to somebody new. As an outside hire, you're very focused on that first impression, right? That fishbowl concept I talked about. When you're promoted, you want to identify where to focus a reputational shift, right? Remember, we talked about those perceptions being a positive and a negative. Um, so where do you want to shift your reputation? As an outside hire, you're going to receive a primer on the culture. As promoted, you want to promote your desired team culture early on um, and often. You might receive a schedule of meetings for your first month as an outside hire, 
as a promoted, chances are they're not going to do that for you. So you should, right, build that schedule out yourself to make sure that you have those one-on-ones that you need. And then finally, outside hires will often get, you know, a development plan of some sort, you know, coming in. This is what we hired you for. This is where we see your main development opportunities. This doesn't necessarily happen when you're promoted. And so, you know, you need to own your own development and recognize for yourself where what are the areas that you need to make sure that you're targeting in your own development. So again, you know, here's just some examples of how there's these slight tweaks that are really critical depending on the path that you're taking. Let's switch for a moment to talk about those who work for these senior leaders. How can they help either the insider or the outsider be successful in that first year, especially, but also beyond? Yeah, I, you know, I really love that question um, because too often as followers, right, the people who are reporting into these leaders, we focus just on what our leaders can do for us and not enough on how we can better support our leaders. And so I think for any stakeholder of a leader, you know, the first thing is if you also understand those opportunities and challenges, you can help by bringing some of that awareness to their attention, right? So just, you know, it's not like this is an opportunity for you, but it's more like, you know, hey, you know, I know that, you know, you might not have as much understanding of some of the key relationships or key decision makers, and I'm happy to, you know, help you out there. I can help you navigate some of those relationships, right? Same goes for some of the advantages that they're bringing. People coming in from the outside, for example, have so many things that they can offer. And they are told when they're hired, oh, we can't wait to take advantage of all these great things that you bring. But then they come in and nobody really seems to care about those things, right? Or ask them about it. Um, Because you know, as an organization, they have their organizational habits based on the last person who held that position. If you can do your homework to better understand, you know, what that leader brings in terms of external network or knowledge and inquire about those things, you're helping them to have that platform to share that those ideas, to feel valued. And also, you know, you're helping them to recognize how their expertise might be used in the new organization. So far, we've been talking primarily, as I said, about two of the six paths of leadership you highlight in your book, insiders and outsiders and the federal judiciary. Those are primarily related to court executives and their deputies. Our third audience, for our purposes, is chief judges. And the closest path to leadership that you identify in your book is the proxy path or by appointment. And what's different about that particular path? One of the things that is important for the appointed is this concept of time frame, right? And so what does the time frame mean in terms of the expectations of the role and also in terms of the type of impact that you can have? And with regard to chief judges, the concept of time limitation is absolutely applicable. They have usually somewhere between four or five to seven years in that official leadership capacity, which is that they are the chief administrator in their respected court. Uh, They have no actual authority over their peer judges, but they have responsibility for all the staff and, and everything really in their jurisdiction. With the chief judges, you have a time limitation, albeit one that's longer than most political appointees. 
you know, the way that I would be thinking about it is when in that new position, whatever that time frame is, that you start thinking about, you know, what is the legacy that you want to leave for that position? And, you know, what are you uniquely positioned to accomplish? And so, you know, shouldn't you then fully leverage that lifetime appointment in that you are in a position to instigate a change for the good that can be, you know, a decade long effort. And so if it's, you know, two years, four years, six years, you know, my the prioritization process that I work with with my clients is, you know, let's brainstorm and get a really long list and then let's start prioritizing. And, you know, if you have that longer time frame, whether, you know, four, six or lifetime, um, don't you owe it to the system to pick some priorities that only you are uniquely positioned to to implement? So in a in a five to seven year time horizon, how many big initiatives seem reasonable based on what you've seen across across all the leaders you've talked to? You really do have to use your judgment. And I think a lot of it is based on, you know, how much discretionary time do you have to work? In other words, I don't know if you all are familiar, if you use the Covey matrix of important and urgent, right? You know, that that quadrant two, which is the non-urgent important work that leaders have, there's only, there's still, you know, whether it's 60, 80, 90% of your work, which is so reactive day-to-day business that you have to get done, you know, what percentage of your time can you allocate to some of those longer term projects and then start, you know, creating those milestones over that two, three, four, five year period so that the things that are important non-urgent can become important urgent, right? So that long-term project isn't urgent, but you know, by creating milestones, you start putting in some important timeframes. The other piece of proxy that I really want to mention is that these positions across organizations are some of the most critical and powerful leadership positions that we have in our society. And when it comes to leadership, you do lead up and you lead across, but it really is around leading down. And with some of these appointments, there is a certain amount of job security that you have that is more so than other types of positions. You know, what makes somebody a leader is not a leadership position. It's how they lead. And when you lead, you are doing things differently in some way. You are moving the dial. You are, you know, pushing the status quo in some way. And so, you know, to me, a lot of that job security in those appointments is about saying you're uniquely positioned to truly be a leader in our society. You know, how are you, again, thinking about your legacy and thinking about the leadership impact that you want to have Um, on those that are going to be most influenced. Some individual leaders are the first to hold the position, whether the first female, the first person of color, etc. And that's an added, perhaps opportunity, definitely a challenge in some cases. What do you recommend for those people who are the first in their role who might have an extra burden to bear? One of the challenges is of being a first is we often don't have someone who, you know, comes from our background um, that we can look up to as a role model 
or someone, you know, we can bounce ideas off of that can empathize with the situation that we're in. I've worked with women who look above in their organization. They say, I'm trying to develop my unique leadership style that brings in in a positive way, you know, my femaleness. Um, and I have no one to look at. And I say to them all the time, why do they have to be internal, right? Let's look to the outside. There are many great female leaders that you can look to and you know, let's look at their styles and how um, you might be able to learn from those. The other piece is how do you balance that need to fit in while also bringing in that unique perspective? And I think that that's something that should be done really intentionally and with the support that you need in order to fully leverage that. Because what a shame to bring in greater diversity into these leadership ranks and then for those diverse um, individuals to not feel like they can make that contribution. The other piece is making sure that your firstness doesn't become everything that you are, right? And that that you do have to do some kind of brand building around the many different aspects of your leadership that you're bringing in, all of your experiences, knowledge, um, and background. One of your recommendations is for all leaders to take a listening tour of the organization. So I love this idea and it makes sense to me intellectually, but what does it really look like? The work of leadership is about relationship, right? It's about influencing others. And so if you don't build those relationships, how do you even begin to do the work of a leader? So it really is just so important for just getting your work done, whether it's building trust, making sure that you understand expectations, right? One of the things you want to ask on that listening tour is, is what would be most valuable for me to do for you for those 30, 60, 90 days, because you want to build some currency, you know, you're coming in with no currency. And so, you know, part of how you build that currency to begin to ask things of others is for you to deliver for them quickly and in ways that they find valuable. You're going to be compared against your predecessor, assuming it's not a new position. So what did they appreciate about that predecessor? Again, you're being compared whether you want to or not. So if you don't know what that predecessor did that people liked or didn't like, you're not fully embracing that comparison in a positive way, right? And so ultimately, you know, getting that that sense from others, you know, what would success look like? What are their expectations? How do they like to work with you? What do they most value? That's just such a great cheat sheet for you to know how to deliver for them. You know, part of that listening tour should also be what do those individuals like to do? What are they good at? You know, where where do they see their career going and being able to deliver for them so that they can continue to grow and develop under your leadership. Meredith, what else would you like to say to leaders in the federal judiciary? Well, first of all, I just want to thank them all for their service. I love working with people in the public sector, and I think we don't thank them enough. So, so that's the first thing I would say. The next is that being in a leadership position does not make one a leader, right? A title does not make you a leader. Leadership is about, you know, influencing others and, and having an impact. And so, you know, we hope that through this book, you're going to understand, you know, what are the waves that are supporting your work, right? What's the current that you can kind of ride and fully leverage those? And also, you know, where might there be a wave that's in your way and that you might want to manage? And then once you have that context, to really think about, you know, what's the impact that you want to have for yourself and for others? And then to go about intentionally accomplishing that, right? 
part of the challenge or not part of the main challenge for leaders today. And I know that that in the judicial branch, this is a huge challenge is just the quantity of work. Right. And so that really does get in the way of our ability to think strategically. And so I just want to encourage all leaders to take that time, you know, to scope out that time to think strategically, to prioritize and really think about the impact that they want to have so that, you know, at their retirement party, they can look back and feel really good about all of their work and about, you know, what they were uniquely able to achieve. Thanks. Meredith, where can we learn more about your work? Well, if you want to learn more about the book or engage in conversations about the book, we have a web page for the book. It's sixpasstoleadership.com. My company is called Aspire at Work, not surprisingly, right, that um, I'm all about the aspiration for impact. So, you know, please go there to learn more as well. And then, you know, you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Meredith, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Lori, thank you. It was great. Thanks, Lori. And thanks to our listening audience. To hear more episodes of this podcast, visit the Executive Education page on fjc.dcn and click or tap Podcast. You can also search for and subscribe to this podcast on your mobile device. In Session, Leading the Judiciary is produced by Shelley Easter. Our program is supported by Anna Glashkova and the entire studio and live production team. This podcast was produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Thanks for listening. Until next time.